Baseball fans, and welcome to episode 24 of the Morning Round Trip podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined once again by my co host Liam Cruthers. Hello, and good morning. And here on August 3rd, we've got another update in the Cardinals' COVID outbreak situation. We don't exactly know how many players or coaches or staff have tested positive yesterday because they had some delayed results. And it hasn't been officially announced, but it is expected to be multiple. We saw multiple results released Saturday morning. We expect more from yesterday's tests, but those numbers won't be out until later today. The gist is that they've got a problem on their hands. And we won't see them playing the Brewers this weekend. We're not sure if we'll be seeing them playing the Tigers early next week. But this is our second problem, because we know the Marlins situation continued to escalate and grow. Pictures surfaced online of multiple Cardinals players taking photos with fans last week. We don't know exactly how the Cardinals situation started or what caused it or what's happening, but we know it's not done yet, and there's expected to be more positive tests, and at some point today, we will probably have even larger numbers. So that situation is not improving. And they're nationally central. We also have Joey Votto reporting symptoms of COVID. Now, the MLB, their whole system relies on constant testing. And even though they're not bubbling and they're not doing any of that, the league believes since they test their players so frequently, they will catch any cases before it spreads too much. So Joey Votto, even despite all that testing, has not tested positive yet. But he believes he has the symptoms, so he's gone into isolation, and we'll get an update on his testing at some point. But as of right now, he doesn't officially have a case, and there's some speculation that it might not be COVID, just because there were a lot of reported symptoms in that Reds clubhouse before, guys like Senzel, guys like Moustakis, that also showed symptoms before testing positive, so it could potentially be something unrelated of course for his sake hopefully it is but expect to hear news from the Cardinals and Joey Votto in terms of their COVID test results sometime today and our final piece of news is that Ioannis Cespedes has opted out the whole situation was a little bit I don't even know what the word is (laughs) a little bit unorthodox Because the Mets had a game at 1 p.m. Eastern time yesterday, and he didn't show up at the stadium, he didn't contact the team, coach, players, and they actually sent security to his hotel room to try and find him, make sure everything was okay, and they found all his stuff was packed up and he had just left. So, either way, Cespedes is done for the season It's looked pretty good to start the year, but for a Mets team that's already struggling, even with the offensive push he's helped provide, they'll probably be missing his bat in the middle of the order. Yeah, and this Mets team has seen a couple of seasons go by without Yuena Cespedes, and you can add this one to the list. A very ambiguous uh, way to announce that you're not going to be playing baseball. The reports come in that he hasn't been heard from. He wasn't at the at the field. He didn't inform anyone that he wasn't going to be there. And then he just ups and leaves. And he gets his agent to inform the team that he's not going to be playing. A little bit unprofessional, to say the least. But <laughs> given everything that's going on right now, it honestly doesn't surprise me that something strange like this happens. 
And the day just got worse and worse for Mets fans because they dropped another game against the Braves. That is now five of six that they've dropped against the Braves. They have one more tonight, so they hope they can salvage that one. But this game, they get shut out. They lose four to nothing. But even though they don't score a run, they get 15 base runners, putting up 10 hits, drawing five walks, but can't get a single one of them across the plate. We saw Pete Alonso really not helping things in the middle of the order. He was the only Met that did not reach base even once. He went 0 for 5, struck out three times. How about this? 1 for 15 with runners in scoring position, and that only hit was an infield single, so it didn't generate a run. And the Mets, as a team, have now left 51 runners on base in their last five games. Ouch. Man, this Mets team is struggling, especially in a lineup like this. You need a guy like Pete Alonso to at least try to replicate what he was able to put together last year. Obviously, you don't expect him to hit as many home runs. It's not possible with 60 games, but I mean, at this point, you'd like to see at least five, maybe, to try to put himself in contention for the lead in the NL in terms of home runs. Man, if this Mets team continues to underperform like this, uh, I don't see they have any shot at making the playoffs, even with the expanded format. They've got to get things back on track, and they need to do it in a hurry. The Mets fall to 3-7, and seven, making their record the second worst in all of baseball. Only the 2-7 and seven Pirates remain below them, but they've got DeGrom on the mound, so hopefully they can bounce back. But this is a Braves team that is staying red hot. I mean, believe it or not, Stansby Swanson continued the hit streak. He went one for four again, meaning he has still recorded a hit in every single 2020 Braves game all season. This game, the both pitchers were a little shaky. And even though the game only finished 4 nothing, it might seem like it was a bit of a pitcher's duel or defensive battle, but... Really, there was all sorts of runners. David Peterson started the game for the Mets, and he loaded the bases, and that's where he gave up his first run of the game by walking in the eventual winning run on a bases-loaded walk. He did pick up a quality start going six innings with three earned runs allowed, but of course, if your team gets shut out, that won't quite be enough. In terms of Kyle Wright, he was shaky as well. He only went three and a third, but walked three, gave up five hits. So there was all sorts of traffic on the base paths, but he managed to get out of it. And one other note that I want to get your opinion on here, because I thought it was interesting. The Mets were down 3 nothing in the seventh inning, and they brought in Edwin Diaz for a low-leverage losing situation. Definitely not a spot where you'd see your closer. But for a guy that struggled so far in that ninth inning, do you think this means that we won't be seeing him close games for some time? I don't think this means that Edwin Diaz has definitively lost his closing job with the New York Mets. That being said, we've seen some National League closers who can throw really hard be put in some interesting situations. A couple of days ago, David Ross, Cubs manager, said that he wasn't sure if Craig Kimbrell was going to be their closer moving forward. Uh, and now we see Edwin Diaz coming in in a low leverage situation, like you said, as the Mets are down three. For me, I don't think Edwin Diaz has definitively lost his job, like I said. I think this is more of a chance for him to go out there in a non-pressure situation, in an environment where if he gives up a couple of runs, it's not a huge deal, simply to boost his confidence. And with that being said, he pitched a clean inning, and he allowed one base runner on a walk. But I think if you're Edwin Diaz, this helps you get back into the groove a little bit and helps you try to get 
yourself back into that closer's mindset of, you know, you go out there, your job is to get three outs, don't allow any runs. And he did that in this one. Moving to the West Coast, another team that has had some trouble with their bullpen and that closer spot, the Los Angeles Angels. As they dropped yesterday's game, their team collectively has now converted one out of six save opportunities. Absolutely mind-blowing to consider that. But yesterday was Ty Buttry who blew the game in the ninth inning, had the one-run lead, allowed Houston to tie it for four. They send it to extras. Each team cashes in the free runner, and then Houston ends up winning it 6-5 to five in the 11th. But the Angels had all sorts of opportunities. We saw them load the bases in both the 10th and the 11th and unable to take the lead or walk it off. All four runs that got the Angels two extra innings came off of the bat of an Albert Pujols Grand Slam. You love to see that. It's always nice to see him producing, I find at least. And the big story, though, the two starters combined to give up 12 runners in four and two-thirds between Otani and Josh James. But of those 12 runners, one hit and 11 walks. Throw strikes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's the reason you're in the big leagues. If you start, is uh, the idea is that you're going to throw strikes and give your team an opportunity to win the game. I do think that guys like Kyle Hendricks and even David Peterson, as we mentioned in the Mets game, they're guys who are designed to pitch to contact. The idea is that they're going to throw strikes uh, more consistently Uh, And because of how low the ball is, the batters won't be able to generate a very high launch angle and thus won't be able to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And you trust that uh, the seven guys sitting behind you are going to be able to make plays on defense. Is it a question of control? Maybe. Between the two guys, we saw James give up six walks and Otani give up five walks. James goes three innings and Otani goes one and two thirds. A note on Otani, he did take a post-game MRI as when he was pulled, he expressed some discomfort in his throwing arm. So hopefully there's no bad news on that front for Angels fans. But as two guys who are designed to look for strikeouts, you have to get yourself ahead in the count in order to get strikeouts. You need to have two strikes before you can have three strikes. And if you're throwing balls, that doesn't happen. So I'm not sure if it's an issue of control or if it's an issue of being tentative and trying to pitch around guys. But this is the big leagues. you got to throw strikes. And if your guy beats you, then, hey, sometimes he beats you. But your job is to make sure you throw the best pitch possible. And Otani was pulled early. He did not look good yesterday. What's worrying here is his last three pitches, his last three fastballs, clocked in all at 89 mile an hour. He's a guy that can touch the upper 90s and can sit around 95, 96 when he's healthy and firing his strongest fastballs. So this is troubling. And we haven't heard about his MRI, as you mentioned, but potentially something there. So for Angels fans who just can't seem to catch a break in the rotation, add Otani to that list, unfortunately. The other Los Angeles team, though, as everything seems to continue to go their way for the most part in terms of their rotation, they get Kershaw back, and he was electric. Pitched five and two-thirds without allowing a run, without allowing a walk, and just three hits allowed, struck out six. He had the fastball going, he had the control going, and a breaking ball looked as sharp as ever. 
On the other side of things, Merrill Kelly, not the strongest start per se, but he still picked up the quality start going six innings, three earned runs allowed, but he got burned by two home runs from the Dodgers' two former MVPs, one from Bellinger in the first inning, which was his first of the year, and one from Betts that was a splash right into the center field pool for his second of the year. And Betts has really come alive on this road trip. He's now 10 for 25 with two homers and four doubles. But he was pulled early as he was removed from the game and currently day to day as he has, uh, I believe, a finger injury. We're not quite sure what happened there or what it'll be, what the scope of this is going to be. But for now, he's out for a couple days and I'm sure, you know, the Dodgers opponents will take whatever they can get at this point with how deep that lineup is. Mookie Betts has been Mookie Betts, just as advertised. And if you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, you are getting what you paid for now. Obviously, you mentioned he is day-to-day, so a little bit of salt there is you got to make sure that the guy that you paid all that money to is actually playing games, so they're not going to take any risks, especially when Bellinger looks to be heating up and getting back into the form that he had last season. Uh, You can afford a couple of games with Mookie Betts out, given how strong this lineup is. I mean, we didn't even see Corey Seager yesterday and they put together a 3 nothing performance on the back of Clayton Kershaw. Now, you mentioned how good he was and, and how electric his stuff was. His fastball on this one touched 93.1 miles an hour. Now, for those of you who know Kershaw back from 2016, 2017, when his fastball was up near 94, 95, that's not as impressive. But you need to keep in mind that this is his hardest pitch since July of 2018. In 2019, his highest fastball clocked in at 92.5 miles an hour. So I don't know if it's the layoff. I don't know if it's the extended rest period that he's had. He looked amazing in this one. Six strikeouts, only three hits allowed. Almost got the quality start. Didn't get the opportunity to uh, as he went five and two thirds. But man, this Dodgers team is scary when they're firing on all cylinders. And for the most part, this game was over after the sixth inning because both bullpens just absolutely locked this one down. Dodgers bullpen pitched three and a third, scoreless, one-hit ball. Arizona, three innings, no hits, no runs. The Both bullpens combined for zero walks as well and struck out a total of 11. Just very strong bullpenning from both teams, which basically put this game on ice as soon as uh, Kershaw was out of the game. So Dodgers pick up another win, and Arizona falls to the bottom of the NL West, now 3-7 and seven on the season. And I want to say they've had a tough schedule to start their season, but realistically, you're only going to be playing teams in the West. So the schedule you've got now is really the schedule that you've got to figure out because you have to pick up games off of these Dodgers, off of the Padres, off of these National League West teams if you want to have a shot at playoffs because that's really all you're going to be facing this year. But beyond the West Coast, we saw a lot of games around the rest of the league that were quite interesting, a little bit unexpected. But I think we have to start first with our seven-inning doubleheader between the Tigers and the Reds. First time in history, and a couple interesting games. Cincinnati took both games, but the second game is where we saw them really come to life. Desclafani got hit around a little bit in the first half, but Trevor Bauer was absolutely locked in in the second half of the doubleheader, posting history's first complete game, seven-inning Shutouts. That was not rain-shortened or shortened by any other means. Trevor Bauer went out, threw 111 pitches, didn't allow a single run, of course, only allowed two hits, struck out seven. And now he leads the NL 
with a 0.68 ERA. Of course, Trevor Bauer is never done, and he continued to go into his post-game Zoom meeting with a Trevor Bauer for Commissioner t-shirt that he sells in his merch shop. I mean, a great performance on the mounds, but that at the end, that's just classic Trevor Bauer, right? Trevor Bauer, a guy who's never quiet about how he feels. His Twitter is a great follow if you're not already on that. And by the way, while you're on Twitter, follow us at Trip Morning. Nice. Uh, Trevor Bauer is a guy who really likes to stir things up. He's not ever going to be quiet about his opinions. And you can see it here with a Bauer for Commissioner shirt. He thinks he could do it better. And given how out there Trevor Bauer can be at certain times, I'm pretty sure he believes that he could do a better job as commissioner. Yeah, I, I believe so. I'm not sure necessarily if we'll see the MLB, you know, being stricter on that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's like a way to speak out against the front office or if they'll perceive it as a joke or a threat. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. How about this? The Orioles sweep the Rays in a three-game series and are now one of only three teams in the American League with a winning percentage over 600. And as you might expect, on the mound, we saw Alex Cobb outduel Blake Snell. Then we saw Wade LeBlanc outduel Tyler Glasnow. And finally, Tommy Malone pitched better than Yanni Chirinos. I don't think anybody had this in their predictions. What do you mean? It's just standard. I mean, it was, it was every every bet had uh, you know Baltimore the favorites, and you know we moved from there. <laughs> no, nah, man, this Orioles team has been really impressive, and they're really going to upset some people in that uh, American League East if they can continue this form. Well, quickly to touch on the other American League East game, we saw Paxton struggle again. Bogarts being red hot, going four for four with two home runs and a double against the Yankees. But Aaron Judge, with two home runs last night, has now homered in five straight games. Keep an eye on that. That's the first Yankee to do it in over a decade. And he looks dialed in for sure. We look at tonight's games. We'll start with the Yankees. We've got Phillies at New York as Jake Arrieta picks up the ball in the Phillies' return and will be throwing against Garrett Cole. That's tonight at 7.05 Eastern. Yankees 7-1, Phillies 1-2. A big discrepancy in games played. Who do you think wins this one? This can go out one of two ways. I think Philly either comes out hot, benefiting from all the rest that they've had, or they come out weak, especially against a guy like Garrett Cole, who can ramp the fastball up there and offset that with an incredible breaking ball. I'm going Yankees over Phillies in this one. I agree. I mean, you see it in playoffs a lot. There's a team who gets a week off. They come back not looking quite as sharp, quite as fresh. I think we see it here, and Philly struggles at least to begin the game. The other game is going to be the Battle of Ohio, as we've got the Indians visiting the Reds, and two pretty good pitchers on the mound. We've got Zach Plezak, who went eight innings, shutouts, striking out 11 in his first timeouts. He will face the ace, Sonny Gray, on the mound tonight. I've got Gray in this one, and I'm picking the Reds. Who do you think wins this one? I'm right there with you. As impressive as Plezak was in his first start, Sonny Gray has been even better so far this year. Uh, Definitely going to be a pitcher's duel in this one. I think Gray takes it over Plezak. And finally, out west, we've got a battle of two young aces as Chris Paddock takes the mound against Walker Bueller. That's tonight at 9.10 p.m. Eastern. This Dodgers team looks unstoppable, but I'll take the Red Hot Padres. I I feel like they've got something special as they face the Dodgers at home. I want to see Paddock really dominate here and, and beat the Dodgers. 
Last time out, Walker Bueller was only able to throw a couple of innings as they're trying to ease him back into the rotation. I think he goes a little bit deeper in this one, and I think that benefits the Dodgers because I think they're going to be able to walk away with a win here, edging out the San Diego Padres. Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Thank you for listening. You can find the show on Twitter at TripMorning. You can find us on Instagram at MorningRoundTrip. And for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day, everyone.